You are now listening to Troubles of Bruin, the Boston Bruins podcast that has been noticeably absent from your life over the last month and a half. My name is Joseph Oaks. I am joined, as always, by the unflappable, implacable Brandon Cherkowin. Hello, Brandon. We're back. We're back, We're Joe. back. Sorry, everybody. Very sorry about that. Lots of stuff has been going on. Uh, I've actually been camped outside of Gary Bettman's house for the last six weeks protesting uh, the direction the NHL is moving in. Brandon has been doing the same outside George Peros's house. Um, Notice how George took the, the much smaller and less physically intimidating person. Yeah, yeah. Brand, Brandon's <laughs> Brandon's job is significantly more dangerous than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Although Peros is a Peros is a Princeton guy, I feel like he's got a soft side. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sure that you know where he went to school before he had his you know bruising NHL career has a lot to do with how he is now. Yeah. I'm, take I, Brandon. I would at least take solace in the fact that George will eventually stop. When you stop moving, he'll stop hitting you. This is true. This is true. He has. There's. He's a. He's a former NHL tough guy. Back when there was, you know, honor and integrity in the NHL. And uh, you know he he won't hit you when you're down on the ice. We'll put, we'll we'll leave it at that. Let's hope not. I mean, to be fair, he is hitting the Bruins once they're down and out repeatedly. So, oh my God, this is this. I mean, I know I obviously you know this is being listened to probably exclusively by Bruins fans. So I'm in good company, but I'm also sure I sound like a broken record with this whole like officiating against the Bruins thing, but. I don't. I'm not so crazy as to think that there's like a conspiracy against the Bruins, but it it certainly feels like. Uh, I don't know. I I can't. I couldn't tell you the last time that a call went our way where I was like, "Oh, geez, that was a bad call." Kind kind of feel bad for so and so after that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's been some where you're like, like Brad Marchand a few times could have been like, I mean, the five thousand dollar fine for the the cross check, but even then, like. For the amount of times that the Bruins have been hit with penalties or lack of penalty call or suspensions, you just feel like it's been a long time since the Bruins have really benefited from the NHL the way other teams have benefited or the way the Bruins have been hit at least. Yeah, yeah. I um, my, man, I I don't want to I don't want to get too deep into into some officiating conspiracy. We got bigger fish to fry, uh, namely uh, the fact that the Bruins, uh, as of this recording, this is uh, Friday, April. Is it the 6th today, Brandon? Help yep. me out. The 5th? The 6th? 6th. the 6th. You'll be hearing this today, so probably, unless you're listening to it later. Then shame on you. But thank you. Yeah, right? Uh, the Bees have two games left on the schedule. They got uh, two home dates against Ottawa and uh, and a Florida Panthers team that uh, just, uh, you know, kind of kind of embarrassed the Bruins. The score doesn't, doesn't properly illustrate uh, how, how lackluster a performance the Bruins uh, put forth Thursday night down in uh, sunny South Florida. But uh, for a team that has first place in the Eastern Conference, uh, I mean, it's it's in their sights now. It was in their grasp prior to this Florida trip. Um, well, I'm curious to hear to hear your thoughts on not necessarily the end results, because obviously uh, going 0 for 2 in Florida, not good. But uh, what, what's your what's your opinion? What what did you take from the last two Bruins games down in Florida? Uh, there's a few things. I think first of all, they're tired. They're visibly tired. They have some good stints, but you see, for the most part, they just, they've just they been playing a lot of hockey recently, and it's been a lot of hockey while they're banged up. And uh, and then you look at players like Chara, McAvoy, 
not so much Bergeron because he's just not human, but the players that are coming back that have missed weeks of action, like they're a bit rusty. Also not Jake DeBrusque apparently because that guy just wants to play hockey. But players that have been hurt are a little bit rusty. So I think it's good that they're playing now and getting like they're shaking off the rust now instead of in the playoffs. But this team, I think they have to start making a conscious decision about whether they want to actually go for the first place or if they want to rest their players or not play them so heavily just so they can have a decent chance of actually going far in the playoffs because that's the ultimate goal, right? Regardless of who you're playing yeah. against. I mean, uh, you, for, first of all, to, uh, to speak to Chachara and McAvoy, they they have looked, uh, I mean, predictably, I'm not knocking them. No, they, for sure. They looked, they looked rustier than I thought they were going to over the last two games. They, they got victimized uh, pretty badly twice in the first period yesterday against Florida. Um uh, they definitely look like uh, – what I'm saying is it, it's it's a shame that the Bruins are actually trying to chase down first place in the conference at this point because, you know, the reason that Char and McAvoy are in the lineup playing these otherwise meaningless games is to get that rust off. So it, it's it's a shame that your top pairing on defense uh, have, have been, have been a, a glaring weakness over the last couple of games while you try to chase down first place. But at the same time, you know – better to better to look bad in games 80 and 81 than to uh than to look bad in games one and two of the playoffs you know exactly that's i mean i kind of expected the rustiness from mcavoy and chara but uh, both of them just because one chara is so old at this point regardless of how good he is and how you know how well he plays the position at his age he's still 41 years old you've got to consider that and McAvoy, when he came back from his last injury he looked a little bit rusty at first obviously he bounced back incredibly well after like two three games so i think we can expect that from mcavoy again this time but i think you have to uh you have to kind of expect most players are going to be rusty like i said bergeron is the exception debrus coming back and scoring a goal that's to be fair uh the crazy line isn't getting the same kind of minutes that the bergeron line is in terms of uh, tough matchups uh so debrus can come back play with the nato and crazy they can kind of do their work nothing against how like the the uh, competition they're playing against but I think when they come back into the lineup, a guy like DeBrusque had a little bit easier because he's riding shotgun with two players who were already hot. So that was good for sure. him. Guys like Chara and McAvoy, on the other hand, are playing extremely tough first pairing minutes. So they have to be yeah, right you're into going, the fire. Yeah, you're, right you're going straight into the fire. You're going up against Kucherov. You're going against Barkov. You're going against elite players. Yeah. So like I said, nothing against the matchups that Krejci's line was getting. And I'm not saying they're getting significantly easier matchups than the Bergeron line. But specifically the Chara and McAvoy pairing, like they had a really tough time getting back in because who they had to go against, even without Stamkos. Yeah, and uh, that's that's something I actually wanted to touch on, you know, in terms of matchups and minutes and, and everything like that. I think uh, the last three games, um, we have been treated to an expose as to just how important Riley Nash is in the middle of the lineup. Riley Nash um, and Sean Corrales. I think that four, and even Tommy Wingles, like they think the fourth line players, the third line players, they're much more important than anyone really expected them to be. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think, um, I think Corrales is, is maybe a little bit easier to replace than, than Nash. Nothing against Corrales, but, um, just Nash's importance. But, you know, yeah. With, with Nash being out, I mean, you've seen, the Bergeron line is being called on in the defensive zone significantly more frequently than they have been all through this season. And it's it's showing on the scoreboard. You know, Bergeron, Pasternak, Marchand, all three of those guys have one point each over the last three games. Yeah. Um, th- and, you, you, I mean, you touched on it. Everybody's tired. It's a totally legitimate excuse. Not trying to j- jump on a team, you know, kick them when they're down. But 
This is Boston's first three-game losing streak since early November, since before they caught fire and, and really turned into the team we've been treated to seeing for the vast majority of this season. Um, they're worn down, but, you know, they're they're also missing a, a pretty serious linchpin in the middle of the lineup in Riley Nash. Um, uh, as far as the, the two games down in Florida, um, I understand given the circumstances, why it's difficult for the Bruins to match the Panthers' intensity. You know, they're playing for their Bay. lives. Tampa Bay had a lot to prove that game. They had already lost the well, last three well, games, that's, right? I'm getting, hold, hold, hold your horses, Roy Rogers. I'm getting there. Uh, you know, Florida, this is a team that's just scratching and clawing to just get into the playoffs. So for the Bruins, a team that's trying to not get hurt, has already automatically locked up first round at, uh, home home ice in at least the first round of the playoffs. Right. Um, it's going to be really tough for the Bruins to match that desperation. But the fl- the the Tampa game, um, way way more so than the Philly contest or the Florida contest. The the Tampa game got me a little worried. Uh, not panicking, you know, not everything has to be so black and white Bruins fans, you know, yeah. Tuka Rask doesn't have to be either the worst goalie of all time or the best goalie of all time. Maybe yes, he he's does. somewhere he's the in the middle of what you'd, you'd, you'd think, right. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, saying that I'm worried doesn't mean that I'm ready to, you know, burn the house down and go underground for the rest of my life. But, you know, the Bruins, really pulled a no-show in that game again in, in Tampa. I mean, that was – that's Tampa for 95% of the season has been the, the, the best team in the NHL, right? Maybe not 95, but 90% of the season yeah. has been the best team in the NHL. The Bruins had beaten them all three times they'd played them. All three times they had beaten them without some amalgamation of Bergeron, McAvoy, Chara, all three of those guys. You know, the Bruins really – I think we're in Tampa's heads a little bit. And that no-show that they pulled in Tampa with, I mean, they had an opportunity to put the number one seed in a stranglehold yeah. with, with a win down there. And they just didn't even show up. I mean, that was, that was, that was really an ugly game. You can, you can write it off as being the Bruins tired or, you know, the law of averages, it only being a matter of time before Tampa pulled out a W and that very well might be true but to lose for nothing and to to just play such such off hockey they just they looked off every facet of their game looked off um have having that be sandwiched in the middle of two you know uninspiring losses to to two teams who still haven't clinched a playoff spot yet Florida and Philadelphia uh, you, you got to be at least a little worried about the Bruins backing into the playoffs, no? Uh, the loss didn't worry me, but like you said, the effort kind of worried me. But at the same time, I'll get into why it doesn't at the same time. But uh, no, I think the effort was poor. And even if the team doesn't win the game, I remember in the first period I said, Tampa's going to score the first goal and probably the first two goals, just the way the team looked. Uh, the way the Bruins looked, I should say. And uh, they did. Obviously, scored the first four goals, the only four goals. But I will say, going back to your point about Nash and then adding Corrali in, and the not having those depth pieces really hurts. Especially when you look at how the fourth line affected Tampa Bay the last time they played, and then you look at this time. Without that fourth line in place, they couldn't get uh, under the skin of some of the best players in Tampa's lineup. 
So when you're missing those pieces, you don't have the same effect. So once the team's fully healthy, hopefully they get fully healthy, you see, uh, you might be able to see a better matchup against Tampa Bay. Hopefully the, the former three were more of the story than the latter one. But I think, yeah, there's legitimate concern when you look at the fact that Anton Hedobin hasn't been as good. Uh, the Bruins are tired. So even if they're getting healthier, they're noticeably tired. The effort level itself, tired or not, should have been better than it was against Tampa. Florida, I thought it was a little better, but it still wasn't enough to... I mean, again, like you said, you can't match intensity with a team like Florida, who they're as desperate as desperate gets. But you still want to see more. I, yeah, I, I thought the Bruins... I thought the, I, I thought the Bees responded nicely to, to Florida. You know, after falling in a 2-0 hole, I thought they did a good job of clawing back. Not a great job, because they were still playing a little fast and loose defensively. Tampa was still beating them with a lot of stretch passes, but... Um, it just it think the coverage just seemed a little lax in the defensive zone, even even though they had climbed back in. But you know, at what point are we going to get to see this Bruins team play with a lead? Uh, maybe you never. know, I I, I mean, it, um, imagine where where the where these Bruins would be if they stopped giving up the first goal in in every game they play. You know, yeah. Uh, I don't I I don't expect the Bruins to be able to match Florida's effort and intensity for 60 minutes at this point in the season. But I mean, how I, I, I don't understand looking so unprepared to start the game. Yeah, that's the issue. You can blame it on like, Oh, well the defense does this or the forwards do this, but it's just uh, like up and down the lineup. The only person actually putting a hundred percent effort into the game was Tuka Rask, And he's the one that gets, you know, uh, and he's the one who's the catching hardest. more crap than anybody over. It's it. crazy yeah, because because he because he didn't stop every single shot that that Florida threw. And at did him, you see you know? the third because... goal? He was screened by I think it was Krug, one of the Panthers, and he was like doing his best to see. Like there's nothing he could have done. Like he was screened by two players, and the shot came from pretty much the point. Like there's nothing he could have done there. No, I don't think any of the three well, yeah, goals yesterday people... were his fault. I think uh, I, I I think uh, I mean I don't know I think there's really no hope for mankind I think I think I think <laughs> mankind is irreparably stupid and uh, the Tuka Rask criticism is 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 one area that that bleeds into but I also think that you know it goes both ways I think I, I I'm certainly of the belief that Tuka Rask is a really good goaltender um, yeah. but but I also think that 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 a lot of his defenders push back a, a little too a little too violently. Um, I, I think, I think the two sides just wind up just, they're fighting with each I other. I don't know. Instead it, of ex- exaggerating one another. Yeah. Like I said, you know, I think it, it, people talk about it. Like he's either like the greatest goaltender of all time or the isn't. worst of all time, which he isn't, you know, I mean, I think, I think he's one of the 15 best goaltenders on the planet. And as such should get a little a little slack cut for him especially especially when he gets when he gets scored on when he's screened by four guys and has already made over 30 saves in a game where his team looks like shit but well that's the thing too uh, i mean the bruins that allowed the uh, season high in the uh, high scoring uh, high percentage scoring chances right so it's it's tough for a goalie to do anything when that's the situation that's the thing. I mean, at, at, in in game eighty of the season, do you want to be setting your single season, you know, high point for scoring chances allowed? You know, the, the, they just don't look particularly sharp right now. I'm sure that's a matter of mental and physical fatigue. But on the eve of the playoffs, with it looking more and more likely that the Bruins are going to be drawing Toronto in the first round, after all, a team that has had their number over the last two years. Um, uh, I mean, I, I don't feel particularly great about it. I feel like the Bruins could 
just as easily win the Stanley Cup this year as they could lose in the first round. And that comes more down to, I think, matchup, like you said, where it just kind of sucks that the, the seeding is what it is. But at the same time, outside of Toronto, the two wildcard teams aren't going to be a walk in the park either. No! Everybody needs to stop talking about, like, playing against Philadelphia or playing against New Jersey is going to be a walk in the park. Or Both even of those Florida. teams have given the... Or even Florida. Before, All the three Panthers of those teams have... The, ha- the, the Panthers have beaten the Bruins twice in, in three games. Philly's beaten the Bruins this year. I think New Jersey's taken the Bruins to overtime twice. I don't think they've played anything but one goal games against New Jersey also, this year. Also, what about the Blue Jackets? The Blue Jackets are the best team in the NHL since March. The, the the jackets are red hot and they're still not out of the woods when it comes to when it comes to winding up as the the number two wild card. Um, I mean that's four teams that I wouldn't be like oh that's going to be a walk in the park. It's not like the Bruins. I was it's funny I was about to say it's not like the Bruins the Bruins are playing the Sabers but the Sabers have beaten the Bruins three times this year. Yeah, let's not play the Avalanche in the playoffs. <laughs> Yeah, I mean just just ask just ask the University of Arizona what good looking ahead gets you. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I mean, this is this is the NHL playoffs. You can't take anybody lightly. I wrote an article uh, a while back about how there is a precedent for a team that succeeds in a very difficult first-round playoff matchup being able to use that as a springboard to greater success. There's a really, really surprising track record of teams who wind up with a tough first-round matchup who narrowly edge out their opponent, who at least go on to make a deep playoff run, if not win the Stanley Cup altogether. Yeah, and it makes sense because, I mean, momentum is huge, especially in a playoff run. Yeah, emotional momentum as well, you know? The the emotional high that the Bruins uh, received or achieved in 2011, beating Montreal in overtime of Game 7 in the first round, that was a springboard to a Stanley Cup. And then you go back to the President's Trophy season, 2013-2014, the Bruins walked very easily through their first round matchup against Detroit and then lost in the second round to, to Montreal. Or then you even look at the uh, 2012-13 season, the year they went to the Cup again, I mean, the matchup against the Leafs should have been a walk in the park, wasn't, but then that Game 7 overtime was incredible. Springboarded them to uh, a five-game series against the Rangers, a four-game series against the Penguins, who, by the way, yeah, were the best the team by, and the by Rangers far in the East. And, yeah, they beat the they, they went on they went eight and one in their next nine games. Yeah. Um, you know, so right now, I mean, would home ice advantage, you know, throughout the Eastern Conference playoffs, will would that be nice? Absolutely. Um, there's no guarantee they don't get it anyway because Tampa Bay can still lose their first matchup as well. That they, they certainly could. Buffalo is uh, taking on Tampa Bay right now, and you know Tampa is definitely in 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 foot off the gas mode. They're trying to make sure that Stamkos doesn't get hurt any further, and you know Kucherov and Hedman are going to be trying to not get hurt. So a lot can still happen, but more more than wins and losses, more than seeding. Um, I am concerned with health and how the Bruins are playing. And the Bruins are a little banged up right now, and they've lost three games for the first time since November. So you'll have to excuse me if I'm not feeling super gung-ho about the Bruins right now. They have certainly earned the benefit of the doubt. 110 points on the season right now, a knack for never quitting 
great, you know, exciting character building comeback wins. I'm not down on the Bruins at all. Like I said, they're, I think, just as likely to win the cup as they are to lose in the first round of the playoffs. But I'm, I'm wary of them backing into the playoffs, especially considering the fact that they've got a ton of guys on that team who really don't have much, if any, playoff experience at all. I'm I I I'm not I'm not convinced that a team that's as relatively inexperienced as the Bruins can just turn on and off the intensity and attention to detail. No, but I mean, I'd like to see how they they take the uh, the next two games. Like I said, getting healthy is the big, uh, most important thing, and that doesn't just mean getting the players back in the lineup. It means making sure that everyone's actually healthy. So if that means get, not get some them, rest, yeah, exactly. But just to touch back on your point about like inexperience real quick, uh, I mean, you've got... John hasn't played in the playoffs in a while, but he's earned the, the benefit of the doubt as a playoff player. Uh, Achari just played last year, so very little. DeBrusque has none. Grizzly has none. Heinen has none. McAvoy has a little. I mean, honestly, he's proven he can uh, live on that stage. Donato sure. has zero. Donato, who, by C- the way... C- Corral... Yeah. Donato wasn't part of the Bruins last time we recorded a podcast, so... That's in, that's crazy. Five We're gonna have to talk about points. him a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Corrali has one playoff series worth of experience. Yeah. So you're talking you know, about a lot so, of inexperienced players, and Jonto was just kind of throwing in a player that hasn't played hockey much um, at a competitive level in recent years. So I think that still comes into play to an extent, but not the way the rookies do, where the rookies haven't ever played at this level. Right. Again, though, all right. So I, I got a I got a question for you, and it's it's something I want to make sure that we squeeze in um, somewhere. Um, the Bruins do have a very enviable problem, uh, as far as our roster log jam at forward, um, the, uh, the, the emergence of, of Ryan Donato as, as a, as a ready-made NHL sniper. God, um, he's good. (laughs) He's really good. Uh, I mean, he's too good to even consider taking out of the lineup once the team is fully healthy. So considering... So considering, you know, there are some obvious guys that are going to be going in and out of the lineup. Like, obviously, Gianta. yeah, Gianta's going to be coming out of the lineup. Colby Cave is already back down in Providence. Wingles is out of the lineup. But when when Riley Nash comes back, you know, he's going back into the lineup. But when Rick Nash comes back into the lineup, yeah. where do you put Rick Nash? And what do your forward lines look like? Because some deserving good Bruins player is going to have to take a seat in the press box when Rick Nash comes back. So before Donato played the way he's playing, I said that, like before DeBrus came back, I should say, I said that DeBrus should get his spot back on the second line and Donato should be the guy going to the third line. But the way I'm looking at this team... I feel like maybe DeBrusque playing on the third line with Bacchus and Nash would be a really good line. So it's nothing against Donato. Like, I'm not saying Donato and DeBrusque. Like, I'm not saying one's better than the other. But just in terms of skill set, I'd love to see a guy like Donato, like the sniper, pure sniper play with a pure playmaker like Krejci, where a guy like DeBrusque, who's physical and goes hard, kind of plays the same kind of game as uh, Nash and as, uh, as Bacchus. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Another issue with that, though, is then Danton Heinen. Where does Danton Heinen go? Because no, Danton Heinen logged so good recently. He he logged some time at the beginning of the season on the fourth line and was excellent. I mean, I I think when Danton Heinen was playing on the fourth line, I believe that that was their highest offensive production of the season. It seemed like Tim Schaller 
and Sean Corrali and Noel Achari, or Achari was out actually, but Tim Schaller in particular, I think, was was playing the best offensive hockey of his NHL career yep. when he was playing with Danton Heinen on that line. So that's an interesting spot. I mean, Heinen has already played on that line before. Which fourth liner since thing? then? Well, I, that's that's another issue. I mean, who comes out of the lineup? I would say at this point, as much as I love him, I would say regardless of who goes where, I think when Rick Nash comes back into the lineup, I think I think Sean Corrali is going to have to be the guy who who grabs the first seat. Now, now he's going to play. It's not like guys aren't going to get hurt, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, it's it's tough. Uh, the one thing I think DeBrusque would be a good fit on the third line. But he has played literally the entire season alongside David Krejci. I would definitely be wary, at least a little bit, of of putting him on a different line to start the playoffs, a different line for the first time this year. It's, it, I, I agree with you that it's a good fit, but it's something that I think has to at least factor into said, the decision. I'm not saying DeBrusque what, isn't as good about- as Donato. I think you can't make a claim that one is better than the other. They both. I mean, them on the same line is incredibly fun. So then what if you... What if you keep Rick Nash? Yeah, I have something. Well, as well. I I got some on the third line. How about this? What if you put Rick Nash on the third line in David Backus' spot? Where should David Backus go? And then well, you no, go, you could put you could you put go Nash you go with you, you could put David Backus. Well, I would put I would put Riley Nash on the third line. I would yep. put Riley Nash at center, Rick Nash at right wing, and Danton Heinen at left wing, or vice versa. Right. Either of those guys can play either wing wherever wherever they feel the most comfortable. And then on the fourth line, you could roll out a line of Achari, Bacchus, and Schaller, which the Bruins actually did last night. It's a, it's a, a variation of a line that the Bruins rolled Rally. out in the playoffs last year that was actually probably Boston's yeah. best line in the first-round series against Ottawa. It's a good, heavy fourth line that can play that north-south game, win battles, I think David Backus could be a real weapon. Because it also keeps him fresh line. for penalty kills, power play. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and and it could be a, you know any any variation of that. I think I think Tim Schaller has to stay Which in the lineup no matter what. So it it ba- <laughs> I know right. So it basically becomes a matter of like pick your poison. Uh, you know, Sean Corrali or Noel Achari, and I, I think. I think right now, I think well, obviously Corrali's hurt, but I I think before the injury, I think Achari was playing maybe a little bit more impactful yeah. a role than Corrali. As much as I love Sean Corrali and want to see him stick around in Boston for a long time, uh, the the thought of putting Rick Nash on a third line, getting him bottom six matchups, while putting David Backus on the fourth line. I mean, it, it and getting to keep the Krejci, Donato, DeBrusque line together, which is just super exciting. And it doesn't mean you can't move Nash back up if you um, need to. You can always shorten your bench. You know, it's not like Bruce Cassidy doesn't tinker with lines in game. You know, but mm-hmm. I would. I, I'm at least. You know, there is a there is a logjam on the horizon with Nash back at practice. Somebody, somebody good and deserving of a spot for the playoffs is going to have to come out of the lineup. And I'll. I'll say this too. Um, Riley Nash still hasn't skated yet because of all the swelling and the stitches. So, assuming he's not back right away, you you can easily just put Nash on the third line with Bacchus at the center. 
and keep yeah, hiding absolutely. there. absolutely. So, I mean, we're, we're also talking in a, a perfect world in a vacuum when everyone's healthy. There's no guarantee everybody gets healthy anyway. There's no guarantee that Brad Marchand's going to be healthy for game don't, one of the stop, playoffs. Stop, stop, stop. I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> don't don't, give, know, our, I mean, don't give the, the listeners a heart attack. <laughs> well, look, I mean, this it wouldn't it wouldn't be the first time that the Bruins lost a player for the season in game 82. It happened to poor Brandon Carlo last year, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, there, there are no guarantees. This is, all, this is all just kind of spitball and throwing, throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks here. But, you know, there is a difficult lineup decision that's going to have to be made when Rick Nash comes back and when Riley Nash comes back into the lineup. I, I, I have to believe that Riley Nash is going to be ready for game one of the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, um, I hope so. It was pretty brutal, like 40-plus 40 40 plus stitches, stitches But it doesn't sound like he suffered a concussion on the play. No, but I mean, it's still like super swollen up. So you got to hope that he can practice before he gets back into a game. So yeah. maybe not game one. I mean, I, again, game one is next Thursday. So we he's, have it's it's he's got he's got six days from the recording of this episode. He's already been out for uh, almost a week. By the time the playoffs game one rolls around, it will have been almost two weeks since he took the puck to the ear. I I got to feel forty stitches or not. I got to feel like he'll be fine. He's a hockey player. I'll say this right now. I'm just I'm looking at Twitter as this happens. Uh, someone just asked Ty Anderson, how do you think the lines will be when Nash comes back? So Ty said move Donato down to the third line. And he said, Heinen is interesting because this game translates anywhere. But he says that keeping DeBrusque, Krejci, and Nash together is an important thing. Like if They were fantastic. And I, I tend to agree with that. But I just feel like you can't go wrong no matter who plays where in terms of those three players, Nash, uh, Donato, and DeBrusque. I feel like it's going to be a good lineup with Krejci no matter what. Like, usually we see Krejci playing with players that it's like a, a revolving door of players that probably don't fit in his line or are just like makeshift players there. Right now, those three, he has experience with all three of those players. He has chemistry with all three of those players. I think he's comfortable no matter what. So I wouldn't. Yeah, David Krejci is the, the probably the last player of those four that that we just mentioned that I'm concerned about chemistry wise. Um I uh, like you said it's it's an it's an enviable problem any way you slice it the Bruins lineup looks good um, I am going to uh, respectfully disagree with with Ty's assessment there um, I think more important than keeping the Krejci DeBrusque Nash line together is uh, maintaining a, at least a similar DNA on the third line as that as a shutdown line as a line yes. that can take defensive zone and uh, difficult assignments away from the Bergeron line to free them up to be the offensive juggernauts that they have become. And I think that moving Ryan Donato, a guy who doesn't have a terribly well-rounded NHL game right now, he's an incredible sniper. Yeah. He's 10 games in. So there's no way he looks, looks pretty damn good for 10 games in. So I'm not knocking him by any means, but he's also, he doesn't have the two way game of Danton Heinen or Jake DeBrusque right now. He, he just doesn't. Um, and I also think that taking a sniper away from a premier playmaker like David Krejci and putting him on a line with Riley Nash and David Backus is a great way to decrease his own personal offense. Especially with Rick, the playoffs coming up when, Rick, uh, when David Krejci yeah. is such a monster. I, I, think, I think at this point in their careers, I think Rick Nash is more capable of creating his own offense from the third line than Ryan Donato is. Yeah. So if I had to choose between putting one of them alongside a premier playmaker and putting one of them alongside Riley Nash, I would choose Rick Nash to play with Riley 
and Ryan Donato to play with Krejci. But that's just me personally. That's my opinion. Yeah. Again, it's something we're going to see sooner than later. I mean, Rick Nash should be coming back probably by the next game, I would assume, if not at least the last game of the regular season. So we're going to get a pretty good idea of what Bruce Cassidy wants to do sooner than later. Like, it's not going to be a long time before we figure out the answers to these questions. And I think, like I said, you can't really go wrong with them. So I think it's 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 a problem in the sense that, like, we don't really know, but it's not a problem at all. It's just it's a testament to the depth that this team has. Even the players you're sitting in Wingles and in potentially uh, Corrali and in Gianta, like, they've all been exceptionally good. Like, exceptionally good. I didn't think I would like Brian Gianta this much, but I really do. Uh, Brian Gianta's made some good plays. He's all, I think there have also been games where he has definitely looked like a 39-year-old guy who was unemployed for the first two-thirds of the season. Yeah. Um, he's played, I think, ultimately on the whole, I think he's probably played a little bit better than a lot of people expected him to. Um, Myself he included. also did... He also just did have a 12-game pointless streak, though. You know, he really hit the ground running with the Bees, and then he definitely definitely disappeared a little bit. But at the same time, you know, if Brian Gianta is going to be the 14th or 15th forward on your team, then, then you're in a good spot. If you're talking about moving a guy like Danton Heinen to the fourth line or putting Rick Nash on the third line, you're, you're, in, you're in a good spot. Yeah, and like I said, like with Gianta... I like him a lot because I'm not expecting him to be a first-line player. I'm expecting him to be a fourth-line player who can move up and down the lineup a bit. So just what I've seen of him, I think, like you said, having him as your 15th forward or your 14th or your 16th or your 17th forward, whatever he is because there's so many players in Boston right now, I think it's a good spot to be in. Like you said, Danton Heinen, if he's going to be on the fourth line or maybe not in the lineup at all, that's fantastic. If Ryan Donato, Jake DeBrusque, or Rick Nash playing on the third line, you're in an incredible spot. Plus, yeah, don't I mean, forget, and, Peter Solaric is also in Providence. It's worst case scenario, that's another really, Peter, really good body. Peter Solaric, I, I, I feel really bad for Peter Solaric. So again, I don't want this to come off as me bad mouthing him, but Peter Solaric's got to be made out of the same material as his stick, because every time <laughs> I check to see how he is doing down in Providence, I find out he's hurt every single time. He's hurt right now. He's always hurt. Peter Solaric might be Wayne Gretzky. We'll never know because he's probably never going to play a full season in the NHL. He just kind of seems like one of those guys who just can't get healthy. Yeah. Yeah, I, so I, just I, get their own way. Here's, are you, as far as overall health is concerned, at forward, the Bruins are so deep. Everybody who's going to the playoffs is going to start hemorrhaging bodies once the, once the playoffs commence. The yep. intensity goes through the roof. Guys get hurt at an exponentially greater rate as they as they move toward and eventually eclipse 100 games played in one season. You know, the injuries start to pile up and I don't think there's a team in the NHL at forward who can roll out as many competent NHL ready-made forwards as the Bruins. The, everybody in the NHL is going to run out of those guys before the Bruins do. Agreed. Now, on the back end is maybe a little bit of a different story now that Brandon Carlo is out hurt. Yeah, that really um, Obviously been a, a lightning rod for criticism this season. Definitely didn't have the season that I think a lot of us were hoping. Um, but at the same time, he wasn't nearly as bad as uh, as many people would make him out to be. He was a really huge part of, uh, of a Bruins penalty kill that's been in the top five pretty much all season long. 
Um, only Zidane Ochara played more minutes on the PK than Brandon Carlo. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was really st- seemingly starting to get a hang of things in the absence of Chara and McAvoy. I think he really did a great job of stepping up, shouldering that extra responsibility as a shutdown defenseman. And uh, it's really sad to see his season come to come to an unceremonious end, mere feet from the playoffs from the second season in a row. Um but it puts the Bruins in a position where, you know, now once again, Paul Postma is your eighth defenseman. And I don't think Paul Postma is necessarily the kiss of death. But um, but I felt a lot better about the Bruins' defensive depth a week ago than I, than I do today. Now they're, now they're one Adam McQuaid or Kevin Miller injury away from Paul Postma being your, your first spare defenseman. It's going to happen, you know? Yep. Especially with and some Paul of the players' Post- uh, injury history in the lineup. Paul Postma is probably going to wind up draw if the Bruins make it at least beyond the first rounds, maybe beyond two rounds. The likelihood of Paul Postma dressing for a game increases significantly, and yep. uh, and 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 you know it, then it becomes a matter of now you're going to be asking a 41 year old Zdeno Chara to play 25, 26 minutes a night as he moves toward 100 games played on the season, or I guess he won't get there because he missed time, but. You you know what I mean. It's right. it's it's starting to look a little bit leaner on the back end than it did just a week ago. Yeah, no, it's it's not as ideal as it was. Getting Nick Holden was supposed to be a death move for the playoffs. I mean, thank God they went and got Nick Holden because that really helps out in turn. I mean, I mean he wasn't great in the last game against Florida or against Tampa Bay, but uh, he was he was actually uh, not great at all. Um, but I don't think he was the biggest problem either. No. It, on a night on a night when everybody looks like crap, including Patrice Bergeron, I mean, who who can who could possibly keep a straight face when talking talking trash about a game that Patrice Bergeron had? The guy's, you know, like designed by a, a hockey mad scientist to be the perfect hockey player, but he had a really bad game against Tampa. I mean, he shanked, th- I would say, three golden opportunities to get the Bruins on the board. Marshan set him up beautifully a couple times, and I watched him shank two or three shots. Um, I, you know, do he, if, if Patrice Bergeron is having a bad game, then I can't exactly pig pile on Nick Holden for having a bad game, you know? Agreed. And I was wondering why I couldn't remember much about his game from Florida. It's because he didn't play against Florida. So that'll do it. There you go. Yeah, Adam McQuaid played last night. And I think, I think Adam McQuaid is, is the right choice to at least begin the playoffs in Brandon Carlo's role, just you know, if you if you examine what the Bruins are missing with Brandon Carlo being out of the lineup, they're missing a defensively minded, penalty killing, stay at home defenseman. Um, I think McQuaid does a better job of filling that void. Um, he also has history with Tory Krug; they played as a pair together all of last season, and uh, and. You know, putting him in that role allows Bruce Cassidy to keep his other two pairings, which have been excellent, intact. You get to keep Chara McAvoy intact. You get to keep Miller and Grizzlick intact. And I think Krug is good enough that, obviously, you'd rather put him with someone that's comfortable with, which, obviously, him and McQuaid, they're, they're pretty comfortable. He and Carlo were not good together, but uh, which is shocking to me. But I think Krug is good enough, and you use him in a, a decent enough way offensively, that you can get by with not when he's the odd man out in terms of line pairing. Like you said, you keep Grizzly and Miller and Chara and McAvoy. Krug is the lone guy who has to be switching his partners with either Holden or McQuaid. I'm okay with that. 
Yeah, I, I am too. And I think, um, you know, Adam McQuaid and Nick Holden, each, each's strength is the other's weakness, you know. So it's, it, it's really kind of who's a better defenseman between the two. I mean, it's kind of negligible. It, it comes down to philosophy, really. Um, I, I do think that if, <clears throat> if Adam McQuaid does, uh, you know, get injured because he does have a pretty lengthy injury history, just the way right. that he plays, you know. Um, and some bad if luck. he does get injured or if, if he does struggle um, and, and the Bruins wind up having to go to Holden for one reason or another, then I think – Cassidy needs to look to to juggle his his pairings on the back end a little bit. I think you still got to keep Chara and McAvoy together, but then I think you got to really consider moving Kevin Miller up alongside Tory Krug. Miller Miller proved in the playoffs last year that he's capable of handling second pairing duty. Uh, he's he, I I would say he's probably one of the most improved and underappreciated defensemen in the NHL. Um, yep. and and I feel. I feel a lot better about a Grizzlick Holden third pairing than I do a Krug Holden second pairing. And I'll say this too, and this is my bold but not so bold prediction for the playoffs. I think it's not going to matter anyway because I think we're going to see a lot of Kevin Miller and Charlie McAvoy double shifting, similar to the way we did Good. last year. I think they're both very capable of doing it, and Miller can play both sides. Obviously, he's better on the right side. McAvoy, I don't care where he plays. I think McAvoy is going to be McAvoy regardless. So I, I think you're going to use the best players when you need to use them. I mean, it's it's time to empty the tank, right? Yep. These next uh, two games, not so much. But hopefully, you know, the 16 to 25 or whatever it's going to take, you know, hopefully those games are the ones where it's just you give nothing, uh, you have nothing else to give after they're done. If you ever feel like you have more to give after you lose a playoff series, then you didn't do this. You didn't play properly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, all right, man. What do you think? I think that's a good place. Good uh, good place to end it. Good first I think episode so. Back. This was good. This was our first episode back. This was us, you know, taking a twirl, taking a skate, getting the rust off, you know, working out the kinks. Might not have been a perfect performance. So, uh, you know, bear bear with us, everybody. We're trying to get back into game shape. Just We're like, the uh, Sajana like, Chara and Charlie McAvoy of podcasting right now. That's it. Yeah, I guess I, that makes me Chara, I guess, because I'm the old one. Okay, I was going to say maybe I'd be Chara because I'm going against, uh, up against Paros, but I'll take McAvoy. <laughs> <laughs> People don't want to trade me every second day. <laughs> Brandon, where can our, uh, where can our uh, listeners uh, tell their friends to find us? Uh, SoundCloud. You can find us on Twitter at TABpod, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Hockey Writers Podcast page. All right, that's it. Hey, everybody, go Bruins. Yeah, go Bruins. We'll see you next week. We'll have a we'll have a playoff edition special for you. Take care, everybody. Bye.